Welcome to season three of the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker and I'll be your host. Are you interested in what the Bible really means or wondering how it's relevant to life today? If so, this podcast is for you. In this season, we are going back to where it all begins, the book of Genesis. No matter what your age or your background or your experience is with the Bible, I believe you can find something fresh and meaningful every time you study it. Hi, my name's Ariana. The Bible is for everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Ariana. All right, friends, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of The Bible for the Ordinary Life. This week, we are going to transition from the first major storyline in Genesis to the second one. Genesis actually contains four major storylines. The first one covered Adam and his descendants through Noah, and if you listen to the first 13 episodes we did in Genesis, then you're aware of the theme we've been tracing of the promised seed, and how each major character has some hope to be the fulfillment of that promise, and yet fall short. We read about how God interacts with humans, beginning with Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel, Yet we've seen a cycle already of humans turning away from God and becoming so evil that God chooses to wipe the earth of all humans except one man and his family. So as we enter into Act 2, we'll be watching for the continued development of this theme of who is the promised seed as well as some other themes. Now last week I covered both Chapter 10, which is pretty much a genealogy, and chapter 11, which covers the Tower of Babel and explains how and why humans were dispersed on the earth with different languages. At the end of chapter 11, we get a little bit of a repeat of the genealogy of Shem's line. Remember, Shem is one of Noah's sons. Our author already told us about Shem's sons in chapter 10, but verses 10 through 27 of chapter 11 provide a focus and some additional detail. Here, we get a really good explanation of the generations between Shem and Abram. Now, let's keep in mind that Hebrew writers use repetition for a couple reasons. First, these writings were most often passed down orally. So repetition made the text easier to remember and repeat. Repetition is also a sign that something is important, and so it's worth repeating. So I think that this repeated genealogy, which has a few more details about how long various people lived, and it focuses the reader on the endpoint of this line, which is Abram, and it's because Abram is the key figure in the next several chapters until his son Isaac takes over for storyline number three. So let's start at verse 27 of chapter 11 and see what we can learn about Abram's family and a little bit about his background. I'm using Net2 version, which is found on Bible.org, to read these verses. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans, while his father Terah was still alive. And Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, who was the father of both Milcah and Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no children. Okay, so what have we learned? Abram is one of three sons that are named here. Does that sound familiar? 
What other fathers have had three sons? Hmm. Adam had Cain, Abel, and Seth. Noah had Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now Terah, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Interesting pattern, isn't it? Especially when you consider the triune nature of God and how the number three represents salvation. So we have Terah's three sons listed. Now there's no indication that they are actually born together as triplets. It's just that these three are listed together because they are the key players in Abram's story. It's very possible that Terah had other sons and he definitely had daughters, but we know Abram had these two brothers and one of the brothers, Haran, died fairly early on. When he died, Haran left a son named Lot, a daughter named Iska, and a daughter named Milcah. Now, Abram married Sarai, and his other brother, Nahor, married Milcah, which, if you caught on, was really his niece, since it was Haran, his brother's daughter. And although the text doesn't tell us this yet, Sarai is actually Abram's half-sister. They share a father, but not a mother. Now, to our Western 21st century ears, this sounds awful. A man who marries his niece and his brother marries their half-sister? gross. But we're reading ancient Hebrew literature from early Mesopotamia through the lens of our cultural biases and our norms and experiences and expectations. So we have to stop and think like the people of that culture and time would have. Men in these cultures would sometimes marry their brother's daughters to take care of them, not because they were pedophiles, Marrying a sister or a half-sister was very much unlikely going to be a genetic issue at this point in human history, and it wasn't a cultural problem. It kept families together, and in fact, God had not actually established the Levitical law that prohibits the practice of marrying within families. So, in the minds and beliefs of these people, there is nothing wrong with what we read about who these men married. Let's turn our focus on Terah's three named sons. One dies, leaving his children who are to be taken care of by his two brothers. The next few verses give us some context for the importance of what is about to happen in chapter 12. Here's what these verses say. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and with them he set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. The lifetime of Terah was 205 years, and he died in Haran. So Terah moves these two sons and their wives, along with Lot, to a place named Haran. Hmm, isn't that the name of the son that died? Why, yes, it is. So that makes it nice and easy to remember that location, isn't it? Was it named Haran at the time Terah moved there? Or was it named Haran after Terah's son? I don't know. But it's a significant geographical point in the story, which begs the question, where was it? Now, of all the subjects I took in school, I somehow missed signing up for geography. So it's my weakest body of background knowledge. But 
That's what Bible Maps and Google are for, right? <laughs> Ur of the Chaldeans. If you look up Ur of the Chaldeans, you'll find that it was located near what we call the Persian Gulf in modern-day Iraq. And it's kind of an interesting point here that the writer calls their original starting point Ur of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans didn't inhabit Ur until long after Abram died. But they were probably a significant people group in Ur at the time this was written down as opposed to just passed on orally. Now, Haran was pretty far up the Euphrates River. Most maps have it around 500 miles or more north of Ur, and its location is in modern-day Turkey. So Tara gets everyone together that's named, and probably some others, and off they go to Haran. We aren't sure why yet. We'll find out. But he took with him Abram, Sarai, Lot, Nahor, Milka, and Iska. And I'm sure there were others. But these are the main players in our story. And it's noted here that Sarai was barren. She and Abram had no children. And when they got to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived a total of 205 years and died in Haran. Now, I need to chase a rabbit, so to speak, at this point. And this is one of those moments, I wish we were face-to-face -face and I could write a couple things down on a whiteboard for you to see while we discuss this, but let's do our best in this format to really focus on a few details and see if we can sort out what the Bible is telling us. This little rabbit trail is going to lead us to something I feel like is important to share. Chapter 11, verse 26 says that Terah lived 70 years and fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. So when you first read this, it might be easy to assume that Abram is the oldest son and he was born to Terah when Terah was 70 years old. We also learn that Terah lived to be 205 according to verse 32. So if Abram was born when Terah was 70, that means he was 135 years old when his father Terah died. Now, why does this matter, you might be thinking? Well, if you look ahead at chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, it says this. So Abram left just as the Lord had told him to do, and Lot went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they left for the land of Canaan. They entered the land of Canaan. Okay, so if Abram is 75 years old when he left Haran, it means that his father Terah is still alive and didn't accompany him out of Haran to Canaan. But there's one more thing we need to look at. Let's skip to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. In Acts 7, a Jesus follower named Stephen is speaking to the high priest and the council. And here's what Stephen says. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The glory of God appeared to our forefather Abram when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your country and from your relatives and come to the land I will show you. Then he went out from the country of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After his father died, God made him move to this country where you now live. Hmm. Did you catch the conflict? If we assume Abram was the firstborn to Terah when Terah was 70, 
and Terah died when Abram was 135, we have a conflict. Stephen says Abram didn't leave Haran until his father died, but Genesis tells us Abram was 75 when he left. So how can Abram be 75 when his father dies and leave Haran for Canaan at this point? There are a few ways this can be explained. It could be that Abram was listed first among the three brothers, but wasn't necessarily born first. He might just be listed first because he's the prominent character in the story. It could be that Abram was born to Terah when Terah was older. If Abram was born when Terah was 130 years old, then when Abram was 75, Terah would be 205, which is the year he died and the year Abram left for Canaan. It could be that one of his other brothers was born first when Terah was 70. Another explanation is that Stephen was alluding to a spiritual death of Terah. He didn't fully obey God and go to Canaan. So he was considered dead when Abram left and answered God's call to go to Canaan. I also read one commentator who suggested maybe Stephen got the story wrong and the numbers mixed up, but this is the least likely option in my opinion as it cast doubt on the inerrancy of God's word. Here's the thing. I'm not 100% sure how old Terah was when Abram died, but for whatever reason, Terah never made it past Haran to the place where God called Abram. Let's look again at Acts 7. The God of glory appeared to our forefather Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your country and from your relatives and come to the land I will show you. Then he went out from the country of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After his father died, God made him move to the country where you now live. Abram's call came to him while he was in Ur. He lived in a large, prosperous family, and at this point his family had not worshipped the one true God. They worshipped false gods and practiced idolatry. And Terah, as the father, is the patriarch, the family leader. God's call comes to Abram, and he responds. He, his father, and his remaining brother, and their children, and probably others, like other wives for Terah, other children and servants, all get up, get moving, and relocate to Haran. So this brings us back to the question of Abram and Terah's age. If Abram didn't leave Haran until Terah died, and we assume it's a physical death, is that because Abram was held back by his father? Maybe. I don't know for certain, but let's think about this. God called Abram to go and leave his country and his family. This is exactly what Genesis 12.1 says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go out from your country, your relatives and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And according to Acts 7, that call came while he was in Ur, or what Stephen calls Mesopotamia in Acts 7 verse 2. So it's possible Abram gets the call and Terah decides to go with him, but for some reason they stop and settle in Haran. And we know this from Genesis eleven thirty one, which says, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and with them he set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. Did you catch that they set out to go to Canaan? But when they got to Haran, they settled there. They settled. And that's the point I want to draw out. 
God called them to Canaan, but they settled for Haran. And it's there that Terah died. I wonder what blessing Terah missed out on because he wasn't able to go the full distance of God's calling. I wonder if he's the reason that Abram gets held up and doesn't finish the journey until Terah dies. We aren't going to dive too deep into these next few verses this week, but let's take a look at what blessings God wants to give Abram. These verses are from the beginning of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your country, your relatives, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Then I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will exemplify divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly I must curse, so that all the families on earth may receive blessing through you. Imagine what Abraham might have been thinking and feeling to hear this directly from God. Me? Chosen to be a great nation? To be blessed? To have my name great? That I would be a blessing to others? And that if anyone curses me, God will curse them? And the whole earth will be blessed through me? (laughs) I'd be stunned. And God would have my full attention for sure. Now, here's the first part of verse four. So Abram left just as the Lord had told him to do. Abram obeyed. He did what God told him to do. And as we'll see in coming weeks, he didn't stop again until he got to Canaan. I don't know why God chose Abram and called him out of Ur to go to Canaan. I don't know why God picked him to receive this amazing blessing. Abram didn't do anything prior to this that we know of to merit God's favor. And truthfully, I'm really thankful for that because it speaks to God's character, his grace, his kindness, his mercy. Why should any one of us receive any blessings? Why should any one of us experience God's kindness? He doesn't owe us anything. And even if we tried to earn it, we can't. We can never earn God's love. He gives it freely. So out of sheer grace and kindness, Abram gets picked out of all the people on earth by God. He's given a task. Leave your family, your familiar upbringing, your established routine, your comfort, and go. Go to a land I will show you. And guess what? He does what God tells him to do. He obeys. He did have a layover in Haran, but Abram obeyed the call of God and went to Canaan, hundreds of miles from anything familiar or comfortable. And this, this is the lesson for us. What level of obedience do we have when it comes to following God's command? Do we get stuck in Haran? (laughs) Do we even leave Ur? Abram risked it all to follow God's call. He may have been delayed due to his father, but ultimately he obeyed. It must have been compelling enough for him to realize that going anywhere with God was better than staying where he was, no matter how comfortable or familiar it was. That's some pretty intense obedience. And this from a guy who never went to Sunday school or youth camp or a revival meeting. 
This is a guy who never heard a sermon preached or read an uplifting blog about obeying God or tuned into a podcast that gave him insight into theology. He just heard God's call and obeyed. I don't know about you, but I want to obey like Abram. To choose God's call over the call of my own life, my own familiarity, my own routine. It's scary because it puts us out of our comfort zone, but it's also compelling. God, the creator of this universe, loves us enough to want to enter into a relationship with us. He's absolutely worth following. He's worth obeying. And as you'll see in the coming weeks, Abram makes his share of mistakes, but ultimately he is rewarded for his obedience. And quite frankly, you and I are rewarded for his obedience as well. Because God made good on his promise to Abram. Remember those blessings we read a few minutes ago? One of them was that all families on earth are to be blessed through him. And as this story develops, we will see that through him will come the promised seed. The seed is the one who will come to right all wrongs, to provide access to God, to crush the head of the serpent and reverse the curse. Jesus will come from Abram's line, and it is through Jesus that we are saved. We are blessed through Abram. I can't wait to get into the story and watch the work of God unfold in the life of Abram. But this week, let me challenge you as well as myself to ask, have we made it out of our own Ur? And if so, have we gotten stuck in a place like Haran? Or are we living fully in Canaan, embracing God's call? Wherever you are today, let's commit and make sure we're on our way to Canaan. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoy what you heard. Don't forget to leave a review and connect with us on Instagram. The Bible is for everyone.